Happy Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, I was telling, I, I, I kind of ironically said this to my wife this morning because our middle child, Molly, was sick and threw up this morning, and so Kelly was, was being a mother at between four and six in the morning, uh, and so um, I said, happy, happy Mother's Day, Kelly, right now, because we, we had multiple screaming children and uh, some, some, some issues to deal with, so you never know what's going to come your way with, with, with motherhood, but... Um, uh, we are going to be talking today not about motherhood, although we did that recently. We will be talking today about dating and engagement. And uh, if you have a Bible, there's, there's a number of places we could go, but uh, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Papa Fred, would you pray for us? Thank you, Mark. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, Mother's Day. I, I, I know so many of these holidays seemed... Uh, like Hallmark holidays and trumped up, but there's, you know, Mother's Day always, to me, has been really, really special. And that even goes back to the creative uh, narrative. In the beginning, you created a man in your image, ish. And then out of a man, you created Eve, isha. And all men since then have had a mother, a biological mother, and a biological father. And so this, this order is, is of you. And, and I'm just grateful for the role. We're talking about roles and, and gender. And I'm just grateful for the role that, that mothers have in our lives. And, and I'm thankful for mine, for uh, Karen's mom, and, and for all those mothers of, of our congregation members of our congregation and, and uh, that have meant so much to us, have spoken into our lives, godly women that sacrificed and gave of themselves uh, in submission uh, to their husbands and to you, Lord, uh, that we might be holy. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And before we jump into the passage, if I could just sort of put everybody on the spot and ask a question that we've talked about a little bit, just generally speaking, as you are a single believer looking for a potential spouse, what are some very obvious things you should be looking for? And then can we even get a little bit specific on what are some characteristics and things you would want to be looking for? In a, we, we, we also want to talk about who we should be as a future spouse. That's no less important. But first, starting with who we should be looking for in a future spouse. Greg, why don't you start us off? Um, well, I hope it's obvious, uh, but when you're considering getting married or dating, uh, you obviously want to marry or consider someone who is a maturing Christian, um, someone who is walking with the Lord. There's evidence of that in their lives of pursuing the Lord, not just um, in their own life, like personal devotions and reading, but also in a local, in a local church. Uh, you know, involvement in a local church is so essential to our discipleship, it's so essential to our growth. Um, so, you know, someone can know the Bible well, they can, um, you know, love to talk about Jesus with people, but if they are not plugged in to a local church where they are being weekly fed the Word of God, uh, receiving accountability through their fellowship there and their friendships there, um, you know, then that's, that's an automatic deal breaker, I would say. Um, because if um, they're not committed to the church, then that is a, a serious issue in their walk with Jesus. Um, so growing obvious maturity in Christ, um, commitment to a local church. Um, and I mean, some other things too, because uh, we, we kind of email back and forth on this. Um, 
and it's not trying to be nitpicky. It's not trying to like add too many things to this, but you've got to line up like theologically, like how you view the doctrine of salvation, um, how you view, uh, you know, the church, the issue of baptism, um, you know, how you interpret scripture, stuff like that. You know, you've got to have, you've got to have, see, be on the same page, see the same way on these things. Um, not that, you know, if, if um, you know, someone's less, you know, less strong on the sovereignty of God and salvation than you are, that doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means you, you see scripture differently on that. And that's actually a pretty big deal. And so, you know, on big issues like that, but also, um, you know, are we just talking about preliminary no, or just, great. okay. So, you know, you get to know somebody, things are progressing. You need to, you know, have conviction on basic life practices, habits, like entertainment, you know, do you want kids? How many kids do you want? What does it look like to be a parent? Um, what else did I put down here? Can I, can I pause? Yeah, want, go for it. Oh, go ahead, Papa. I was going to ask you, on, so the, you meet a girl and you say, how many kids do you want to have? Not the first date. <laughs> not the first date. You not wait for till the sure. second date, maybe. At least the third. No, I don't know. But anyway, what were you going to well, say, yeah, no, th th That's really good. Um, just talking about doctrinal differences. Again, this is not so much a matter of sin or not sinning, but it's more an issue of biblical wisdom in terms of you could be, two believers could be married and have pretty different views and it not necessarily be sinfully wrong for them to get married, but they are asking for tension and friction throughout the entirety of their marriage so long as they disagree. Yeah. And so an example, an obvious example would be you're, uh, you're dating a man or a woman who believes in infant baptism and say you do not believe in infant baptism. Well, one day, Lord willing, you have children, you're either going to baptize them as babies or you're not. And you can't do it. Both, you cannot do it both ways. To do it both ways is to misunderstand what baptism is. You, that's not an option. People say, "Well, it doesn't matter. Just baptize them when they're a kid, then baptize them when they're a believer." Well, that's to misunderstand what baptism is. No. It's either right or wrong to baptize the baby. So, if you're going to disagree on that, how are you going to come to a compromise on that in your marriage? It may feel small when you're dating. But I promise you, when you have your first child, it's going to feel really important and significant. You, you might have a different views on, say, the charismatic gifts. So let's say you're dating someone who believes in continuationism, that tongues and prophecy happen on a regular basis today, that miracles and visions happen on a regular basis. They're interpreting their dreams when they wake up in the morning. They're speaking, they, they at least claim to be speaking in tongues over breakfast. And maybe you're a cessationist like, like we are here, and, and you would say, okay, Think about what that's going to mean for your children in the future. What's going to mean for your relationship? What if your wife or husband is interpreting a dream that they had last night, thinking God is speaking to them, special you know, revelation, and you're saying, I don't see that in Scripture. How are you going to resolve disagreements? On, I mean, that, that's going to be a massive distinction uh, when, when it comes to that. Or when it comes to evangelical feminism versus complementarianism, uh, if there are different views on how your marriage is to, be, is to work, my goodness, a, a man who's a committed complementarian who marries an evangelical feminist, I don't know how that dynamic will work. I, I, would, I would just say to a guy, please be wise when you are dating. Don't step into a situation like that because it is asking for continual trouble in terms of decision-making going forward. Well, I'll add to that, especially like um, <laughs> thinking of the, the charismatic gifts issue. And again, this, you know, we have our position here as a church and we you know, love people who would disagree with us on this, yeah. but... It's so significant because I know somebody who um, was more Baptist in his convictions and some was dating someone who was more charismatic. And I had a conversation with him. I was like, listen, it's different than what you believe. Like, you, you have to be okay with this if, if you're going to continue forward with this relationship. 
And, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And for the first year to two years, he went to a more charismatic-leaning church. And before long, he couldn't put up with it. He so disagreed with the tongues and with the practices that he went to a different church. You've got a married couple, each one attending a different church. That right there is a problem, okay? That is a serious problem. Christ is not honored by that. He wants us to walk um, like-minded with this person that we have pledged ourselves to. So again, you, it's, it's not making a mountain out of a molehill. It's seeing it for what it is. Like these issues, again, it doesn't define whether or not you're a Christian, but if, if you don't see eye to eye with somebody on a big issue like that, it doesn't matter you know, how on fire for Jesus they may seem to be. It's not wise to pursue it. Jerry? Yeah. Go ahead, Baba. I think we have a great environment here. We have discussion groups. We have small family groups. Mm -hmm. We, ever since in the five years uh, we've been here, there's plenty of opportunity to find out where somebody stands on some of these issues because we discuss them quite openly and the importance of them. So, I mean, it's not like you got to go up and say, oh, you know, how many kids you want to <laughs> know? Or do you believe in speaking in tongues? I mean, uh, that's obviously evident from, from our discussion groups and, and some of the dialogue that we have with one another. So that's a good way to kind of get to know one another in a group. I like the group setting because we're talking about dating also. The group setting is a great way in the church to get to know one another. And I think you do have to be careful about denominations. Uh, you meet somebody there in another denomination, find out what that denomination yeah. mm-hmm. teaches. Yeah. There's uh, going to be enough differences and just uh, friction because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it only seems wise to get rid of some of the other variables that could cause friction, um, the theological differences seems like a wise move to say we're not going to be identical on those but to be pretty lined up and so even uh, uh you know it's been a joy to see how many people from north avenue have uh come to marry others from north avenue because we have a pretty um good idea where where everybody stands as members yeah and oh sorry when scott they, they won't mind me telling you this scott and liliana my brother and his wife met online uh my wife and i met in our previous local church uh, nothing illegitimate about either of those things. If, if you are in a local church and you meet and marry someone, you, it, it, like you're saying, it's much easier just to kind of know what the person believes. They're under the same teaching. They're under the same authority. They're, they're part of the same kind of groups. So you can get a sense of what they believe. It, it, they're, they're, it's easier in that sense. But online dating, I know today, is, is a pretty big and prominent thing. And so when Scott and Liliana were first uh, getting to know each other online, they had lots and lots and lots of conversations over the course of months before they even met the first time. Uh, she's from Guatemala. So she was in Guatemala when they were first talking. She had a relative who lived in Atlanta, and so she was coming to Atlanta to visit the relative, and Scott and her met up on their first date, and it went really, really well. But they had enormous amounts of uh, information was shared between them so that they knew they were lining up when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to Christ, the gospel. Uh, and so uh, that, which, whichever way we, uh, that's being approached, the big issue is just getting a lot of information that you can have in order to better understand uh, what you're kind of getting yourself into, whoever it is you end up uh, dating. Other things on what to look for? I know we want to get to the text in a second. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I'll finish up what I was saying just, just briefly. I mean, yeah, theology and biblical convictions absolutely got to line up. But again, more practical aspects of life, um, like I was saying, like, what do you do when you have downtime? Um, you know, again, parenting stuff. What are your life goals? 
I mean, hopefully, you know, seeking Christ, there's this, I want to, you know, glorify God and everything. But what does that look like practically? Some people just like doing different things. And you, you know, you might say in terms of walking with God, this person, you know, meets every criteria, but we just, we're just different. Like, and we don't like the same things. Uh, We don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we don't mesh, like, personality wise. And you know, that's only something you, you start to learn when you get to know somebody. You, as Mark was saying, you gather information. Um, and, and it's nothing wrong with finding that out and then saying, you know what, maybe this isn't meant to be. You love the Lord, I love the Lord. Um, but there's just too many other differences that can come in. And it's, again, not minimizing our walk with Christ. Um, but there's just some people your personality is going to not mesh well with. So it's, it's good to know those kinds of stuff. Um, you know, and this also, I want to say this, it's important, um, being attracted to the other person, that's important too. Um, it's, you know, the first issue which, which these gentlemen have handled exceptionally well is the spiritual issue. Like that has to have the prominence, the preeminence, the first priority above everything. But you also have to like the person and be attracted to the person. And the more you're with them, the more you want to be with them. Like that's a good and godly thing to be attracted to the person that you want to marry. Um, And so the reason I bring that up is in Christian circles, especially like with the whole courtship thing. And you've got like, you know, the old book by Josh Harris, you know, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I've just noticed too many times people almost get this like robotic mechanical mindset where there's no emotion, no desire. It's just, okay, you meet this criteria, this, that. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to date this, we're going to go on this many dates and I'm going to talk to your parents and I'm going to propose. And it's like, make sure your heart's in it too. Okay. You, you will not be serving your future spouse well um, if you don't desire them as a person. And just to, um, to back that up scripturally, the book Song of Solomon uh, in the Bible is celebrating romantic love between a husband and a wife. And what's amazing is that they praise each other physically for the way that they look. There, there is a delighting in one another. They, 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 they mention each other's attributes and they praise God for the way the other person looks. So the physical is absolutely in the Bible. Nothing at all wrong with that. Uh, today, of course, that becomes the only thing people care about, typically speaking, in the world. But biblically, there's nothing wrong with that. That is a good and right thing to delight in. I right. fully agree. <laughs> Jerry says he fully agrees. Um, All right. Go ahead, Papa. Uh, Don't pursue a relationship alone. You mentioned Mm. uh, online and, and, and of course, if you meet someone here. But there are people in this church that might know your background, know your parents. I remember at a former church when I met Karen, I had a friend, Ben Hudson. And I said, Ben, who is that that person? (laughs) Oh, I've known her since she was a little you know, know her family and that type thing. Those types of things are good, especially in a, of course, now this is a smaller town, smaller community. Uh, I know MK, you're from, from Athens and stuff, but, and people would know your family and stuff like that. And that's true in Watkinsville and Athens, not so true in Atlanta or a larger place. So it's kind of nice to know uh, your background. 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so yeah, doing this not in isolation, but having people who know you around you. Let's be honest. It is possible to be infatuated early in a dating process to the point where your reason is not really reasonable. <laughs> you, you, you are so enamored by a person in those early months or weeks of the relationship that you will not actually see with clarity. You think you're the one seeing with clarity, but you're actually not seeing with clarity oftentimes to have friends who know you and know as this other person as best they can to be able to step in in private and to speak truth to you and say, I see red flags. Like, I, I know you feel enamored with this person, but I see some real warning flags that might want to make you slow down and reassess because I'm concerned. And uh, maybe we've had people in our lives where that's happened, where someone has stepped up and said that. That is a good thing uh, to have people around us. Doing these things entirely in isolation uh, is, is not wise because our own perception can be skewed in the middle of that process. Can I say one more thing? Before, yeah. I know we want to get... No, no, this is good. Um, I don't want to create the impression that you're going to know everything about this person before you get married. You won't. Um, you don't know yourself half as well as you think you do until you get married. And then you don't know what you think you know about yourself until you live with someone to reveal those things to you. Um, I learned so many painful things about myself and my tendencies, <laughs> my, my habits, uh, the way I respond. I didn't really know that about me until I got married. And it's like, oh my word, I'm an absolutely terrible person. How did she marry me? <laughs> Um, but God shows a lot of grace, and I have an amazing wife who um, still loves me more than I deserve. Um, but like, so I'm not saying that you have to have every single potential detail in history ever figured out, because you're going to learn more than you thought you'd know about your spouse and yourself once you get married. But you can have a good idea in terms of a trajectory where y'all are going to go together, where this person is going. Um, and that's what we're getting at. Like, if you're walking in the, in the same direction, that's what you want more than anything. Walking in the same direction after the Lord and light, you know, in some of the specifics that we mentioned. So just don't, don't overapply that to thinking you got to have like, you know, an encyclopedia of your future spouse before you can say, oh, I want to pursue this further. And that's not what we're saying. And we keep adding things, but it, let me add another thing here. Um, the, there, there can be things that are not important genuinely that we elevate far too highly when we are looking for a spouse. I, I, I got to tell the story about uh, someone I know, uh, a couple we know, Amanda Tingle and Matt Tingle. They, I think they have five children. Last I heard, it could be six or seven by now, but they, I think they have five boys. And uh, Matt and Amanda started dating at college and they got married. And Amanda has jokingly told this story several times. She said she had three things on her list of what she was looking for in a husband. Uh, number one, now she's kind of tall. So number one was he needs to be taller than me. I don't, I don't know if that was number one. That was on the top three. And then like number two was he plays, he needs to play guitar. And number three, he needs to love Jesus. Now I'm sure the order was the backwards of that. I'm sorry, Amanda. I'm sure Jesus was number one, but then taller than me and plays guitar. And she said, well, I got one of the three. <laughs> Matt is slightly shorter than Amanda and he plays the banjo, which she said is not better than the guitar. <laughs> so they, they joke about that, but, but he, does he does love Jesus. And he, he loves Jesus. And, and uh, he is, he's passionate about the Lord. And so they, when they got married, she said, she realized two of those things on the list were just kind of silly. And, and the one thing that really mattered is what she got. And she is so happy about that. So again, we need to assess our own lists when we, and what we're looking for in a spouse, make sure they're biblically informed. And then as I've heard a college pastor, I used to know say, or I still know, uh, he used to say, really, you should burn the list of who you're looking for and write an even longer list of who you should be as a future spouse. Wow. That's what you make a list of who you should be in a few years when you desire to get married or whenever that may be in God's sovereignty. All right, let's let's read here together 1 Thessalonians 4 
I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. This is great for those who want to know God's will for their lives. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards uh, not man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, those are pretty weighty and significant words. Before we unpack that, I just want to mention this book. I don't even know if this book is in print. I have not checked. This is from 2007. Uh, John Enzor wrote a book called Doing Things Right in Matters of the Heart, which is kind of a delightful little book about dating, engagement, and marriage. And I was going back and looking at it this week. I hadn't read it in probably a decade or so, but I was going back and looking at it this week and really enjoyed uh, it. And I just want to read a little bit of this little excerpt from this book where he talks about how gender roles play out even in the dating part of marriage. And this kind of makes me, makes me laugh a little bit. He says, he was speaking to a small circle of college students, Christian brothers in their mid-twenties mostly, said one of them expressed the problem squarely. I don't like to ask a girl until I see all the right signals that she is definitely going to say yes. My response, coward, you are the man. <laughs> he says, by this, I meant to say that being a man means something distinctive. Brothers, it falls on us to be the initial risk takers in matters of the heart. Headship means being the one to go ahead and ask. It is ours as men to suffer the embarrassment of rejection if need be. It is our role to initiate. It is hers to respond with a signal of reception or rejection. Uh, get to it right merrily, he says. Uh, we are the hunters, they are the quarry. It is for men to strike out into the forest and look. This next line makes me laugh. It is for women to crack the twigs and stir the leaves so we know where to find them, which <laughs> makes me laugh. Then he goes on. He says, sisters, all the advice from Vogue and Glamour and Cosmopolitan that talks about going after and getting your man, all the blather about how in this day and age it is just as acceptable for you to initiate as for him uh, is just that. It's blather. Be confident that if he is the man you hope and wish him to be, he will play the man. You crackle the leaves a bit <laughs> when he is in the area and let him know that you are there. Then wait for him to initiate or not. In the long run, you will be well served either way. Sisters, as the relationship unfolds, let him also be the first to say, I love you. His power is in the exclamation. Yours is in the echo. And so that idea of male initiative in, in the dating relationship, I'll just tell you, I mean, I can think of times in my life where you, you want to make 100% sure she's going to say yes before you put your neck out there and ask. But he says, listen, it's the, the role of the man is to put his cards on the table, risk rejection, expose, okay, I, I, putting it out there, and then it's hers to respond. And uh, another thing on this, on this note of, of dating is, while it is true that the man should take the official initiative, it is not wrong, like he says, for the, for the woman to crack the twigs, which is a funny way of saying it. The, the idea of it's not wrong to make yourself known to the, to the man, to, to, be, to be around him and to make known to him that your presence and to talk to him, and those kinds of things are not wrong. But when it comes to the official stepping forward, that is, that's what, what the man should do. And he, he needs to be called to step up, take the risk, put his neck out there, and, and risk rejection. And it is, it is for the man to lead in that respect. And again, a man who does that, the woman finds out, okay, it, does he take initiative? 
If he never asks, then she knows this is probably not the kind of guy you want to marry anyway, because he doesn't have any kind of resolve to take initiative. But if he at least puts, him, puts himself out there and risks it, doesn't mean the woman has to respond with a yes. Of course not. It's up to her to respond. But at least she can see this initiative, this, this leadership aspect in him or, or not, depending on how, on how he reacts. Blather. I love that <laughs> word. That's what we're going to start calling. It's bad. okay to be rejected. It is okay to be rejected. That's right. And this book, this guy makes me laugh so much in this book. I mean, there's so many ways, ways he phrases things. Just cracks me up. It is endorsed by Tim Challies on the back. If you want some validation, because you're like, who is this guy? Tim Challies gave it a full endorsement. It's really a really helpful book on dating and, and engagement. So thoughts here on 1 Thessalonians 4. Greg, can you start with verse 3, the, this is the will of God? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, uh, pa pause right there, Papa yeah, Fred. So, you could make a big pause. What would you say about this whole, the will of God is your, your holiness? Well, we've already talked about it somewhat, that, that marriage is a great instrument of sanctification. Sanctification leads to holiness. Uh, obviously, Physical contact, if you're not married, is, what did uh, Dever say? When in doubt, don't. Flee sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's just, that's a no-brainer for this discussion here. Um, it's, it's not what Cosmopolitan would recommend or our society or the view or anything else, but... Um, uh, uh, we, when I mentioned Dever, Mark Dever had a, um, uh, a good discussion with his elders on dating and courtship and, and that type of thing and gave some parameters. But uh, that, that, that struck home with me, you know, that, that you treat every woman as your sister uh, until, you're, until you're married. Even if you're engaged, you treat her with respect as your sister. Boys have to, men have to lead, and, and uh, that's what we're talking about. Greg, you mentioned uh, in the email this week uh, that, and I think this is a big point to talk about, so maybe we'll all share something, but can you start on this idea of what is the purpose, since dating is not in the Bible per se, engagement is, what would be a, a biblical perspective on the purpose of dating uh, versus maybe how the world often views dating? Okay, um, I, I don't like the term courtship. Um, I think it's just loaded with too much unnecessary baggage. Um, and again, what, I, what, I, what my wife and I have kind of come to thinking of, you know, scripturally in light of what scripture says is just purposeful dating. Um, and that means you're dating with a purpose. And I think the biggest purpose that you have to go into with any potential relationship is simply... Um, if you're not ready to get married, don't date. And I think that sets it apart from our culture more than anything because our culture just says date for the sake of dating. Get what you can. Um, maybe it'll lead to commitment. Maybe it won't lead to commitment. But hey, that's what everybody does um, from grade school, you know, primary school all the way up. Um, you know, you could have a list, you know, front and back a couple of pages of all the different people you dated however many different times. And it's like, that totally misses the point. And the reason why I say that is um, God has two categories for our relational status. You're either married or you're single. There's no in-between, honestly. It's married or single. 
And so if your relationship with this, perp, with this other person is not leading to marriage, or at least has the potential to go there, and you both admit, okay, if, if we go down this path and we continue to, to say yes and yes, we see these things falling in place, if marriage is not the goal of that, then it's a relationship you should not pursue. Um, and so you go into it with the purpose of saying, there's a very real potential that this could end, in, that this will not end. It will lead to marriage, which is the beginning of something amazing. But at any point along the way, if you realize that you do not want to marry this other person, then end it. End it. Um, and I, this gets into what we're talking about in, in 1 Thessalonians, I think. He talks about, one, that you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. Um, but two, in verse six, he says that no one, no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And I think what it's getting at is that person that you're looking across the table at, if they are not going to be your spouse, they're going to be somebody else's spouse and you do not have a right to them because that's what God is reserving for their future spouse. And same going your way. Um, and we don't want to dishonor or defraud or wrong our our a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ um, by trying to get as much as we can before marriage. Um. Just on that exact point. So I, I teach seniors at Westminster, and this past year on Fridays, uh, we would split the class. Girls would go with uh, your brother's wife, uh, with Tali Ediger. The girls would go with her, and I would just have the guys for 45 minutes, 40 minutes on Fridays, every other Friday. So uh, not that long ago, the dating question came up. They asked me, because it's much more informal, conversational with just the guys in the room. You can be a little more blunt and direct. Uh, so they, they were asking about dating and about engagement and about marriage and about children. And it was a fan, I really thought it was a great discussion. But I don't know if they asked me this directly, but the kind of the feel in the room was kind of how far can you go when you're dating? I don't, like, how, did even, how do you even think? That's kind of like, what are the parameters? What, what are the limitations on the physical aspect of, of dating? And I just said immediately what you were saying. I said to them, I said, okay, here's the question you need to, you need to ask. These are like 18-year-old guys. I said, how far do you want your future wife to have gone with her previous boyfriend? Right? And they're like, ooh, not very far. There, okay, that's a good start. <laughs> like at least, just think for a second. How far, what are the limits you would put on that? And they would say, well, how far emotionally would you want your future spouse to have gone with their previous boyfriend that they dated for three or four years in high school? I mean, that guy knows everything about her knows, her, knows her emotionally to the core, her hopes, fears, dreams, wishes, longings, what she's most desirous for, what she's most afraid of. There, there, there is a guy who knows everything about her from top to bottom, and now they're not dating and you're married to that person. So just, it's not to guilt people who've made mistakes in the past. There's forgiveness in the gospel. There's no condemnation in Christ. But this is for people stepping into those situations to say, let's use love and wisdom. Let's not defraud and wrong our brother in these things. Let, let, let us show love. Let, let us go over the top in holiness and in honor and respect and, and to treat even those we are dating with, with that respect and honor that, that God calls us to. Yeah, and this is tough in our day and age because in previous generations, we didn't have the gap between coming into adulthood um, and getting married like we do today. Um, only the richest of the rich had that space and freedom. Now we all have that, and so it creates this muddled middle ground um, between when we start coming into adulthood and however long, and it's, you know, it's not, for, for, for believers, it's, it just is the, the, the air you breathe. It's the world you live in. Um, and so it calls for an incredible amount of self-control, an incredible amount of patience, um, because 
God created us with certain desires, and if God has not clearly led you to a celibate life, then don't, you know, a single celibate life, then don't, you know, those desires are there created by God, and they can honor and glorify Him, and it stinks that you have to, that because of the, the, the world we live in, there's such a gap, and so many people, especially guys, unfortunately, want to sit in their basement and play video games instead of manning up, getting a job, and being ready to provide for a family. And so it's, we, we have this, this gap between when people should be ready and when people actually do get ready, um, and that makes it hard. That just makes it absolutely difficult um, for everybody stuck in between, especially a believer, guy or girl, who wants to get married, but what do, you, what do you do? Is it right, in, right when I graduate high school? What about college? What about, and it's like, there's just, it's a muddled mess, in my opinion. Vodi Bakum has a quote that I just love on this, and it's a pretty, pretty provocative quote, as you might expect from Vodi. And Vodi said, much of modern American dating is nothing more than glorified divorce practice. Mm. I think that is 100% correct. So, I mean, you can meet a ninth grader who's already had four girlfriends. Just think about what that does to you. Just, so so you're, you're dating in middle school, whatever that even means. And then you're dating in high school. And every three to five months, you have a new boyfriend or girlfriend. You, you know, there's the fresh kind of excitement of those first few weeks and months. The person gets old and boring to you. You're like, okay, I'm tired of them. Move on. I'm excited about this other girl, this other guy. You start dating them. You date for a few months. It, work, it breaks up over the summer. In the fall, you have a new boyfriend, girlfriend. Imagine doing that with 12 people over the course of six years. What you've done is you are training yourself to live off the initial excitement and euphoria of that initial attraction, and you have not enabled yourself to begin to sustain a relationship when the initial shine begins to wear off. And you've just, you've learned to live for the exhilaration of the moment, the, the, the chase, the, the, oh, this person likes me, they don't like me, they like me, okay, this is going to work, it's not going to, it's working, but that, that whole excitement, you're living off the drug high of that, and you're not actually learning how to sustain a long-term relationship. And so you have kids in college who've literally dated an enormous number of people over a period of years, and then when they actually look to get married, in the marriage, suddenly what happens, two years in, three years in, they're looking for the door, that they're looking to get out because the excitement is entirely gone in terms of that initial thrill, uh, that kind of, that, that feeling. And so learning to run a relationship long-term, it's a different kind of fuel running a long-term relationship in a marriage than it is the temporary high of a brief dating relationship. It's a completely different kind of fuel. And so if you're learning to run off the one and not the other, I just don't know how you survive the first few years of your marriage. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how you do that because it's a different kind of thing entirely. And so we need to get in the mindset of, you know, ironically, people start getting emotionally and sinfully, people start getting emotionally and physically some of the benefits reserved for marriage outside of marriage. And so guess what? Marriage gets pushed off because I don't really need marriage. I'm getting the benefits I want, so-called, I think, emotionally and physically by crossing lines in my dating relationships earlier on in life. And therefore, I don't really need the commitment of marriage. That's, marriage starts sounding scary and dating sounds fun. And that's where you kind of want to just live uh, indefinitely. And so the, the, the point here is to say, uh, letting our desires for marriage drive us towards the responsibilities of marriage, like you're saying, and once the responsibilities are in place, then creating that long-term relationship where we can live a, a life together that would honor the Lord. Jerry, some thoughts on that? I think providentially my mic's not working. Uh-oh. No, no, that's good, I think, in this. <laughs> I think the idea here is that, verse 8, this is what God says. This is not disregarding, man, I love that, that it's not just an opinion uh, in your book or 
that someone says, this is what God says about how it's supposed to work. He's the one that made all this. We need to follow his guidelines. And that's all of us would say that's uh, going to make marriage really what it, what it ought to be and what it can be. Are y'all hearing, Jerry? Is it coming? It's coming through, right? I think it is coming through. Yeah, you're you're coming through. That's not only what God says, but in in back to First Corinthians six, He said, "Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit." That word "temple" is naos. That's the holy of holies. Um, Glorify God in your body. Flee from sexual immorality. Same words that are stated here. Well, I say going back to 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3, when he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness. Um, so when, when we think God's will for us is to be sanctified, to be made more holy, that means God's greatest, <clears throat> excuse me, greatest desire for us is our holiness. And God, in his desire for us to be holy, also desires for us to know a greater joy than we ever would otherwise. And so the pursuit of holiness is a pursuit of joy. And when you think about the, the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, even in getting to know them, do they encourage you to find your joy in God more? Like, do you love God more because you are with this person? Do you want to read your Bible more? Do they make you think about God, encourage you to pray, encourage you to walk with God? Um, I mean, that, that is one of the most attractive things for a Christian. It should be. Um, and so in light of all that we've been saying, I mean, it, it, we, we have to come back to that, you know, can you talk about God with this person easily? You know, just open up the Bible and, and discuss what Scripture says. Do, do they ask how you're doing? Do they want to pray for you? And is it beyond just like physical stuff, but like, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, your walk with the Lord. Um, does this person encourage you to live a life of holiness? Um, and are you walking better with Jesus because you know them? That's, I, I think, at least for me coming back, like at the root of it all, um, I think that's what it has to be. Let, let me read another quote from this uh, book here. And th- this also I thought was a good, I don't know if I've heard it quite said this way. This is talking about the uh, importance of abstaining from I- immorality during dating and engagement and how it's good for both the man and the woman, but in different ways. This is what he says. Men protect women by their chastity. Women by their chastity test the maturity and character of the man pursuing them. Do you, do you get that? Another hint comes from 1 Timothy 5.2 that you re- referenced. Treat younger women like sisters in all purity. For men, this is a call to mature manhood. God is fanning into flame our innate calling to protect women, in this case, from ourselves. Treat them with all the care and caution with which you would naturally defend and protect your own sister. Paul is mustering in men their self-control by trying it on their natural predisposition to protect women from injury. Follow this. Brothers, our power to abstain from sexual impurity and to practice sexual self-control with those with whom we fall in love comes from two sources. One is love of God. Uh, uh, Number two, the love for others accompanied by the desire to protect such as love that prompts within us. Brothers practice sexual self-control out of a desire to protect her from sin, guilt, shame, embarrassment, pregnancy, and the fallout all women bear from sex outside of marriage. Sisters abstaining from sexual morality, this is for you too a matter of submitting to God and His commands. But it is more. It is God's mature manhood test kit for women. The immature, self-centered, ungodly man will test negative in a matter of weeks if he's being asked to withhold. The deceitful and cunning predator will test negative in a matter of days. Men willing to wait and wanting to wait will test positive. It is not a lack of sexual interest. It is a healthy fear of God. It is love, which at this point rightfully expresses itself as protection from sin and shame. 
If he weakens, ladies should help him succeed. The lady should help him succeed. If all else goes well in the development of the relationship, you know you are marrying a godly man, one who has self-control and a clear sense of his calling as a man. I thought that was a good way to think about it. Yeah. I don't think it's too strong to say, and we've certainly uh, counseled some young men in this way, is to say, if you truly love her to whatever degree, you will um, be completely pure in your, in your relationship. If uh, oftentimes the, the phrase is, you know, I love you, so let's go further, that's not love at all. That's hating her. Like that is leading her into sin that will be devastating, you know, in their own marriage. And I thought it was interesting, Papa, you were talking about Dever's um, podcast. He just said even those that uh, marry the person that they went too far with beforehand, even in marriage, that's devastating from their own, from their own sin earlier. I remember I that, that because really he said, as they grow in the word, they realize that you have been inappropriate with them. Yeah, the wife realizes you really wronged me. That's right. In this, in this way. So man, if you love whoever you're beginning to be interested in, that will always end up in, in an incredible purity in the way you, uh, in you, way you treat her because that is what's best for her, which is also best for you and, uh, and not easy for anybody. That's why it needs a lot of uh, God's grace. That's right. And I'll, I'll say this to, the, to guys who are here who might be listening. If, don't say I love you unless you mean it. Don't say it unless you mean it. Um, again, that's with protecting her heart. Um, if you don't mean it, don't say it. Um, you, you open up a whole new world in a relationship when you use those words. Um, and so recognize what you can potentially do to her if that's an insincere statement. Um, so don't, don't say it if you don't mean it. And let me just mention something, and, and don't take this too far, but uh, there should be, and I think Devers guys mentioned this, uh, I listened to this podcast a long time ago, and I've, it's really been helpful, but he just mentions this, one of the guys says, think of dating as having a countdown clock attached. Now, that may sound strange, but just think about this. What you are looking for is, is this the right person for me to marry, and am I the right person to marry them? Now, in a sense, we're always the wrong person because we have sin problems, but you're, you're looking for, are we compatible in those basic? I mean, if you're, not, if you're more than, say, two years or a year away from being ready to be married, well, you're playing with fire. What are you doing? Uh, if, you, if you say, I'm not going to be ready to be, my students will say, it's at least five, six years before I'm going to be ready to be married. Well, then why are you in the dating relationship? And th- th- when, when I get the guys alone, I'll say things like this. You, you guys sometimes struggle with crossing emotional and physical lines with your girlfriend? And they're kind of like, I'm like, what do you think? Uh, I mean, of course. I say, okay, so why are you in that situation? You're not even close to being ready for marriage. You're not even close to being able to support a family. You're not even close to a job. And you're admitting you're crossing emotional and physical boundaries with this 17-year-old girl. Where's the wisdom in that? Where's the wisdom in that? So even, even Christian parents will get mad at that statement. But I'm just telling you, that to me seems like biblical wisdom. Is I think Vodi also said, if you think you can just sort of, uh, you know, sexual morality in the Bible got the godliest man in the Old Testament David, the wisest man in the Old Testament, Solomon, and the strongest man in the Old Testament, Samson. So if, if you think you're stronger than Samson, more godly than David, and wiser than Solomon, 
then I guess you can just stay in that dating relationship for the next 37 years. But I, I don't think that's the way we are wired. And so we, we need God's grace to have wisdom uh, around all these things. How does, Jerry, for, for people who have made mistakes in the past, maybe they are in a marriage now or they've, they've moved beyond a dating relationship that was sinful, how does the gospel come alongside us in yeah. those moments? Uh, gospel. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Amen. Jesus. And we need to camp on that because certainly in our society, so many people are, are uh, not perfect in this, in what we're talking about here. But yes, the Lord will forgive. And, um, and there are consequences to sin, but uh, continue to race to the cross. I think be, you know, at the appropriate time, Deborah was talking about the importance of you know, sharing those mistakes. Um, but that would have to be later on for sure. Um, you know, before you got married. But yeah, the Lord completely forgives and um, that, and we have, to, we have to know that. We have to continue to race to him. Otherwise, uh, none of us would, would maybe ever get married or would always live in condemnation. That's what, not what he desires. Any last comments? A lot more we could say, but I'll stop. <laughs> Jerry, can you pray for us? <clears throat> Father, we're grateful. We're very grateful that you... Um, came to uh, take our sin and to um, wipe um, or wash our sin away as far as east is from the west. Uh, we are uh, deserving of hell, and uh, instead you have imputed your perfect righteousness into our accounts, and so we're very grateful. We would pray for uh, the folks here, um, for anyone who listens to this, uh, for our anybody that we could influence, to, that they would uh, flee sexual immorality, that they would uh, only date intentionally, um, treating the, their um, girlfriend at the time as a sister in Christ primarily. And Lord, you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus in this uh, tremendous um, battle and temptation that... Um, young people are in today. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give a purity to those um, at North Avenue, um, to uh, anyone that we have an opportunity to, to uh, talk to about this. And Lord, we thank you again for, for your word that gives us all we need for life and godliness and clear, clear boundaries in this, um, uh, what you have set up as a, a beautiful thing. So uh, we thank you for marriage, and we pray that marriages would thrive um, for, for the sake of the gospel and would start well uh, due to a godly, um, intentional dating and, and engagement. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, next Sunday, we will be having Sunday school, but not in the gym. Do you remember this? We're going to be in the sanctuary. That's just for one week. So <clears throat> Central Baptist is using this room. So we will be in the sanctuary next Sunday at 2 o'clock. And we are soon to be heading back to Grudem's book uh, on doctrine. So we're, we're getting back to that pretty shortly here. But uh, thank you all again for coming.